And here we are back with episode number 14 of the SK Twins podcast. And we have a very special guest for you this uh, this evening, Arthur Meek, the coach of All or Nothing Gym in Somerset. How are you doing, Arthur? I'm good, yeah, thanks. Uh, I'm good. Um, you've caught me on a good day, actually. A special day because it's my birthday. And I, I just, um, I'm just currently in a hotel in Swindon. I've just spent uh, a few hours with my daughters. They live in Swindon, so I've just driven up. Oh, happy um, birthday to you. Yeah, thank you. Thanks. So how old, how young are you today? Um, I'm 61 now. 61? Honestly? Yeah. Oh. Seriously, yeah. Yeah, I'm 61, yeah. yeah. From your voice now, you sound a lot younger. <laughs> Thanks. I'm banging them out now, though. It's starting to get, you know... <laughs> yeah, yeah. They come around too quick now, to be honest. But... Yeah. No, you're yeah, right. Good. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, thank you for coming on to the podcast this evening. Uh, we really appreciate that. And I just want to start off the same way I start off every episode. I want to ask you, uh, Arthur, uh, where did it all begin for you? Where were you born? Where did you grow up? Um, I was born in Plymouth, but I quickly moved. Uh, my parents uh, quickly moved up from Plymouth to Somerset, in where, which is where I live now, in Bridgewater, Somerset. And, um, you know, from the age of um, 15, I got involved in the martial arts. From, from that age, really, karate was the... My first love, traditional karate, which I'm still involved with now, to be, to be uh, truthful. But, um, you know, from the age of 15, joining the karate club was was the thing at the time. But I quickly got hooked into it and um, it went from there, yeah. There was those days, um, it's like, because karate, obviously, in those days, it was gyms all over the place. It exploded because of uh, the Karate Kid movies and obviously Bruce Lee's effect. Um, from his movies. Yeah, yeah. Without, oh, without doubt, it was a Bruce Lee. And I've got to put hands up and say, you know, I was one of those people that were inspired, was inspired by Bruce Lee. He'd, he'd only just sort of passed away like 18 months prior to that when I was a 15. So, and I saw, you know, the impact on the TV screens and, and then the, obviously the, the movie. So, yeah, that was my inspiration, without doubt. Absolutely, because it was a really interesting time because in strike the striking world, um, uh, karate was really was was really used. Like for example, guys like uh, Bill Superfoot Wallace, really famous, uh, like full contact uh, kickboxers, um, were very karate oriented. You know, and uh, uh, yeah, absolutely. And to be to be honest with you, you know, when when I started looking around, and and back in those days, they were getting exposure on like the BBC World of Sport. They they were showing. Um, I can remember Saturday afternoons they were showing sometimes. Uh, full contact karate, they called it then. They didn't call it kickboxing. Yeah, I yeah. Think you had the likes of Bill Wallace and uh, Benny Okides and Tiari Cassell from Kung Fu. So back in the seventies, there was a there was an explosion, not just for karate, but yeah, for the um, full contact area too. Yeah, absolutely. And from there, obviously K1, etc. In Japan, they they really grew the sport and made well, it a global kind of. Yeah. Well, well, similarly, then what happened to me was. Um, I, I quickly saw that a lot of the karate guys were boxing, so yeah. I did the same. Then I, I went to the local boxing. Well, in fact, the gym, the boxing club, was training in the same uh, place as the karate club, and I knew I knew them very well. My, in fact, I've got a twin brother, and he was boxing. He started boxing too. Oh snap! So, I've got a twin brother as well. Okay, <laughs> so um, I, and I saw the fun he was having going away fighting boxing so i started training with them and then within three months i was in the ring boxing you know so, yeah and i had um i had 17 amateur boxing fights um 
lost just lost the four fights. Um, but then, um, I, you know, it was my plan at the time to go into kickboxing to go into full contact. Yeah, yeah. Um, but there were there were no you know kickboxing. No, there was no leagues. There wasn't any shows. Uh, you had to go time, no. far. You had to go to Holland or you know Thailand to do Muay Thai. That was your only options, really. Well, no, they had they did have the. Um, the events going on in Birmingham, London, etc. But of course, I didn't have a coach. I didn't have anyone who was in the know. So, the boxing um, was the next best thing for me. Uh, but then I went to Japan when I was 21. I decided to um, continue with the karate and go to a Tokyo. Uh, sorry, beg your pardon. It was called the Nihon University Karate Club in Tokyo, and I lived there for nine months. Amazing. Yeah, that's that's amazing. That what what that must have been a phenomenal experience at that age for you. Yeah, I mean, my um, my chief instructor in the UK, um, Shumitsu Sensei, um, it was done uh, under his guidance, and after a little bit of um, tugging on his sleeve jacket for a few months and begging him to let me go, um, he finally decided to let me um, take the plans because it. You know, he had a reputation for tough training, hard fighting, and he wasn't prepared to just let anyone go out there and, and, and fail miserably. He wanted to be sure I was going to stick it out. So um, when I was 21, he finally gave me the nod and, and off I went, you know, bags packed, and I was living in uh, Tokyo, yeah. Yeah, wow. Like, what an excellent like uh, part of your journey, of your development. Honestly, to go to a place like that, because obviously the discipline and things like that, that you would have it would have not that you wouldn't have already been disciplined but just the extra you know the emphasis that that there is in countries like that it really it would really develop a young uh, athlete or martial artist like yourself sure and the university was well known for its its fighting because uh and to be honest if i hadn't boxed before i went i would have struggled but there was there was plenty of contact going around don't get me wrong you know uh, you know the karate the karate world has taken you know some stick over the years for Absolutely, yes. For non-contact tournaments, but um, I can tell you now, it was far from, it was far from um, fair, fair, you know, fair fighting in in the University Karate Club. It was, um, you know, mitts on and fair amount of con- contact was made without a doubt. And a few of the students, you know, they had no front teeth; they'd been banged out, you know, the, you know, throughout the course of the years they were there. They sometimes, um, you know, come up against someone a bit tough for them. So. And that was six days a week training, four hours a day. Yeah, no, no, it's, it's tough. It's tough. The the regiments are tough and the devotion they have to the training, you know, it's it's unreal. It's unreal. Yeah, um, yeah. And, the, and it, wasn't just, it wasn't just the training. Of course, I was the only foreign guy there. It was 24 Japanese guys and me. And the problem was, you know, it, 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 was, it was a problem, you know, getting over the loneliness, you know, you're waiting. Oh, yeah. Court, but, Back then, there were no um, emails, no phone, no mobile phones. It was just uh, letters out to home, and you had to wait two weeks for a reply, you know. So, and um, it was it was tough. But you know, after I think it took me about five or six weeks to just start to settle down a bit, and then things started to sort of uh, you know become a lot more clear with the language and the food and the discipline of the training, of course. Yeah. Yeah. No. No. That's amazing. You know how you describe that because. People wouldn't really think about that kind of thing. They'd like, oh, you you went there, must have been amazing training. But obviously, there's a huge culture shock for a young yeah. man at that age going over to a country like that. It's gonna they're gonna struggle. So you done well to um, t- 
to get over that, you know, in, in a matter of over just a month. And then after that, obviously, you were able to maximize your time there and really take advantage, you know, of the training. So it's, it's really cool, you know, your background and where you grew up because and the way you grew up, because, um, yeah, the, in those days for me, there was a lot of really good tournaments going on that nowadays people don't really know about because of what you just highlighted. The fact that karate has been watered down a lot over the years, kind of similar to what's happening to jiu-jitsu, uh, kind of what's happening nowadays. The fact that like there was lots of tournaments going on in Japan and events where there was full contact, it just goes to show you, and if you do your research, even Jap- Japanese jiu-jitsu tournaments in those days and karate tournaments, it was all full contact going on, going on all over the place and yeah, in America. It yeah, it wasn't accepted. Before. The, the contact side, I've got to make that quite clear, that the, the contact element wasn't permitted in the um, in the tournament as such. Yeah. But in the training, in the training, the, the, the instructors, they wanted the best out of you. And they they wanted the they wanted the reputation maintained. The reputation mm-hmm. of Nihon University or Nichidaya they were called was was fierce. It was a it was had a good reputation. And if you didn't cut it, you 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 were out there quick, you know. So it was you know it was solid solid training with some good scrapping without a doubt. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So how did you transition into kickboxing then from there and and like just focus well, on that? I came back from Japan and then I. I went into the um, into the Wadaru England fighting team in England karate. So I fought internationally then for about ten years, and um, of course I was working at the time, and and um, I, I needed to work to pay my way to, to train and to compete. Um, so I was just you know, as people would call it, a full time martial artist. Now it was a kind of a, a full time karate fighter in between working. Yeah, but. Um, uh, but I was still boxing a little bit. I did a couple of unlicensed shows, you know. I'd done a Plymouth and fought in the nightclubs down there. Picked up a bit of money for that, you know. So I did a few four-rounders. So the boxing was was um, obviously in me then. It was still in me. and I was training like a boxer would be. And um, but that was to really that was to really further my karate, international karate career. Then I became I became um, Wadru Karate National Champion. Um, in the in the mid 80s, late 80s, and then European champion too, um, in Chambry in France. So I was doing the international scene as well as the national sport scene. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's it's, it's really cool. It's really cool to so, hear that. In answer to your question, then I decided with the experience I had in boxing plus the karate, I thought, well, put them together, you've got kickboxing. Yeah, so not, why not? Absolutely. Yeah, because you've got you've got a very versatile uh, like arsenal where you're striking because you've got good boxing background. And obviously, yeah. you've got a good karate background, and that together is a is a is a dynamic K one style. You know, it's a good strong K one style. Right. As, you, as we discussed earlier about the the Americans were were doing just that. They were taking karate guys and putting them into kickboxing events. And so I decided to teach, start teaching at the time. I was older, been in my thirties then. Start to just dabble with teaching kickboxing, and very quickly, it became quite successful I don't think anybody in, in Bridgewater at the time uh, was doing it um, so you know, we, we, we quickly grew as a club of kickboxers as well as a karate club and it went from there and then um, I started coaching them into fights yeah yeah no that's brilliant and and obviously with the coaching now in your gym have you just focused primarily on striking over the years or do you do more do you, do you offer mixed martial arts do you do grappling no, no. 
again, it was a natural progression. Everything's happened naturally as a progression, but also as a kind of a, I was doing the doors as most people were doing at the time. I, I got into door work. I did 15, 17 years on the door. And you start to question yourself, is this viable? Would this work? Does, you know, what I need to, what I need to learn. It's got to be, you know, uh, functional. It's got to be workable on, on the doors. And then um, one of my, one of my kickboxing students, um, Aaron, Aaron Dupledge, he, um, he was a third down in judo. And one day he said to me, hey, Arthur, do you fancy a role on the floor? I said, yeah, all right, why not? And he turned me inside out. And <laughs> he, I just didn't know where I was and I didn't know what I was doing. I thought, Jesus, you know, I'm so out of my comfort zone here. So immediately I said, Aaron, I just got to do more of that. You know, I didn't realise... I was so out of touch with the martial arts world just doing the striking and that's where it all started for the for the grappling and then the mma so yeah so then you started obviously producing mma guys as well yeah uh... well then aaron himself he was a good few years younger than me um so with his kickboxing experience he then decided to want to do an mma fight and he had a, he had several fights um, on the mats, you know, striking grapple ones, and then at the time there weren't pro fights, and he, so he just it's some amateur fights, no headshots. So he had several fights, won an area title, and um, quite successful. Um, but then from there, the MMA classes were born. We started to teach MMA, and in my first ever promotion, I did a show in 2002. Uh, we had MMA on the on our first show, my Bridgewater show. Wow. And Aaron himself was doing MMA and half half of the audience there wondered what the hell was going on. <laughs> suddenly they're on the floor rolling. And so um it was you know, it was that was, you know, twenty years ago nearly, you know. Yeah, no, that's phenomenal because there wasn't too many people really doing it at the time. That's the thing. Like it's only really, really exploded in the last ten to fifteen years. It started to grow even even less than it's really exploded the last six yeah. years. Yes, yeah. Really. But, but you know, um, the problem is, you know, the West Country sometimes is looked upon as um, an out-of-touch area of the UK. But, you know, there's quite a lot of clubs. When we couldn't have competed if there hadn't been other clubs doing it as well. And you had yeah. clubs from Exeter and Bristol, obviously, and, and um, uh, Birmingham, of course, in the Midlands. Um, but Gloucester, all those clubs, all those areas, um, they, they were... Um, they were doing it as well, you know, and, and I got in, I got involved with James Thompson. Do you remember James Thompson? Yeah, yeah, Thompson? yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, MMA veteran was, of the UK. Yeah, well, he, he trained with me for a couple of years, private lessons, and then I coached him for um, a couple of his fights against Dan Severn. And wow. So, you know, he was training with Jacob Hagen in the jiu-jitsu, and I was helping him with the strike. Here. Wow, so, you've coached, you've, co you've cornered against Dan Severn before. <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah, yeah, so that was, uh, you know, a huge moment for me, you know, it was, uh, wow. it was a turning point, you know, because the um, the martial arts for me was just, as I said to you earlier, was constantly evolving, the karate was still important to me, I was still developing my karate uh, um, training myself, but I was still mixing, I was still sparring, I was rolling the floor with guys, um, yeah, it was it was my lifestyle, it was, it, was, it was a great time, to be honest, yeah. Yeah, and you've coached one of the, one of the well, he's one of the pioneering uh uh, MMA fighters really in the UK James Thompson is one of the early big names known kind of names so is there any sorry, other then, uh, sorry uh, yeah. yeah yeah well um, of course you know the club started to get bigger I had good kickboxers I had uh -huh. a European champion in Chris James um, I had 
other karate internationals starting to, to, to do well. Um, international and, and national cha- uh, champion fighters, youngsters. And then uh, then then a young Mark Godbeer walked into my gym when he was, well, I don't know, 21. <laughs> really? Wow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And before you know it, you know, I'm taking Mark Godbeer to Bama and he's winning the Bama title. And I, then I took him to the UFC in, in Dublin. Uh, but we parted company after that for you know a couple of reasons. But we, we parted company. But so you know the it was kind of a um, a pinnacle really of a coaching career to actually walk in through the UFC doors. You know. Oh, that's every coach's dream. You know of this of this era. Like if you take obviously in MMA to get to the UFC level, there's a sense of you've made it. You know, you're like feeling there must be obviously, and then in striking, obviously glory, etc. But yeah, obviously going to the UFC, I'm a coach myself uh, and I manage uh, athletes. So I know that feeling uh, when we get someone into a big league, you definitely have that sense of you've made it to the big time, you know? So sure. that's amazing. Well, and, and, it, and it was an it was an incredible experience, I have to say. Yeah, it was. yeah I, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm gobsmacked, you know, by the people you've worked with and uh, the, the leagues, you know, that you've, you've taken your guys to. And obviously you've... An area that you come from in the UK, it's not like you inherit lots of fighters. You have to build your own guys. So absolutely, and I I think the pride comes in comes out of taking someone off the street who's done nothing before, and then you build them and you you coach them, you nurture them. Sometimes you have to, you know, you have to mother them as well. Yeah, yeah, you have to do everything. You have to to do both ends of the scale sometimes you have to be hard with them and sometimes you have to sit down with them because you know they're so different every fight is so different every every person who trains and basically uh we are you know a combat club and um you know then you know we had a japanese name for the club was budo juka which means martial arts school but i wanted i wanted something to identify our persona if you like Mm -hmm. and I came up with all or nothing because it was a, a, a good uh, a good music track from the Small Faces, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and listening to that, I thought, Do you know what, that that sounds about right for us because we train incredibly hard. We've got we've got good discipline. We've got some great guys, and it is that is what we do. It, it's all or nothing. You train and you train hard and you give it everything. You give it all or nothing. It's either all or nothing. Yeah. So that that stuck then for the next well the last. 15, 20 years now we've been under that kind of that name, yeah. That's absolutely brilliant. And some of your current guys, obviously, you've got um, young, um, you've got a young, sorry, uh, K1 athlete, 65 kilos, uh, who's looking really sharp. Um, slip, he's, the name slipped me Tim right Tim now. Tim yes, <laughs> sorry, I was trying to remember the name there. Tim yeah, Tucker. Yeah, he's and, looked... um, yeah quite, he's, he's very typical of, uh, of some of the guys I've had in the past who've come from the karate background mm-hmm. and people don't sometimes connect you know you see it in the um, UFC you see it in, in other international uh, MMA bouts where you've got a guy who's in a karate, got a karate background and you can just see their movement mm-hmm. they've had experience on the mat they can read a fight the big question is sometimes can they take contact and yep. when they can when they do when they've got desire you think that is a, a very good mixture of, of a fighter because they read the fight well. And, Absolutely. And their, and their movement is just sometimes a little bit different. They have that ability to be mobile, um, to get in, to get out. You know, you, you see it very often, you know, like I say, the big names like Stephen Wonderboy Thompson. Yep. That's just one example. Even George St. Pierre, a, a taekwondo background, karate background, sorry. Yep. So, yep. Oh, yeah, absolutely. 
Absolutely. You know, so I took Tim's an example of that kind of fighter. He's he's done his background in karate, black belt, uh, lots of tournament fights. But like a few others, he then wanted to test himself in the full contact area. So you nurture him as well in the contact. But he, he didn't need he didn't need much nurturing because he just loves to fight. He loves it, and he's but Tim's also got a great nature to him. He's very very likable character and you know that's the other side of it you know, the guys in the club they all work hard but they're incredibly polite disciplined and uh, and Tim is just waiting to move into the bigger time but he's patient and he wants to fight he just wants to fight mm-hmm. he's taken fights on 24 hours notice uh, two or three times you know ring him up Tim do you want yeah I'll be there yeah it's a problem with guys like that who are talented because not a lot of guys are going to want to fight them so they're going to be on yeah. the shelf quite a lot, which is really frustrating. Yeah, like so, you know, I realise that now. You know, he's, he's, his record is like seven and two. He, he had a couple of losses in boxing. Um, he's definitely a K one fighter. He's, he's a pretty decent boxer, but when he lets his legs go, he, you know, he's, he's phenomenal. And and, yeah. and he comes out with he comes out with stuff that I haven't taught him. You know, he, he researches and he tries things. And um, he has a parkour background. You know the parkour guys. Oh you know? yeah, so he'll be very dyna- His athleticism yeah. will be very dynamic. Yeah, he's kind of got, got that mentality, you know. Yeah, he'll be very explosive as well because no, no, no fear. That's what it is, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. So, what's your hopes for him in the next couple of years? Because I know he's young right now, but obviously there's many yeah, options uh, out there. Yeah, well, um, there's Tim, there's my nephew Connor, as you probably know, Connor Meek. That's my nephew. Yeah, they're both they're both training partners. They train incredibly hard together. They both got the hunger. Um, Connor's not had so many fights because he has a few injury issues, but um, they both want to go abroad. Tim wants to go to Thailand training. Connor wants to go to Japan. You know, do what I did. So, and good luck to him. I think next year they'll 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 go abroad and and um, and um, you know learn from from you know good experienced coaches. Not only that, but also have good fighters around them. And I think that sometimes will develop their talent even more. And, and that's what that's what Tim. Uh, because you're asking the question, that's what Tim's got in mind, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I need, I need a couple more fights for Tim, you yeah. know, as soon as possible because he's <laughs> just burning up for, for, with frustration, you know. Yeah, you know, and obviously uh, right now in global kickboxing, when it comes to, in terms of striking, there's the glory right now, obviously one championship to kickboxing yeah, as well. Yeah, infusion. He's, he's glued to those shows. He watches them all the time and, um, you know, I think that's where he gets his... Uh, inspiration from definitely yeah and the good thing is right now UK guys European guys they are getting opportunities uh, in these big shows it's just a matter of waiting your turn really um, yeah. Got, yeah, especially so for guys like that yeah so if anybody's out there anyone's listening <laughs> to this show and they're doing uh, this, this show yeah this podcast if anyone's out there a promoter and they need a 65k kg uh, amateur fight who's willing to turn pro now he's He's on nine fights. After about nine or ten fights, I think they can possibly turn pro if the time is right, if the opponent's right. Yeah. Absolutely. No, that would be brilliant. Um, so we're just going to talk a little bit about um, some of your fighters are on UFL 4 that's going to be on this Saturday. Um, yeah. It's a closed-door event. Obviously, it's going to be live stream on Tribe Promotions TV YouTube channel. You have a couple of your athletes on the event. Um, one you just mentioned a second ago, Connor Meek. Connor. I just want to ask you a little bit about his uh, training and preparation, how he's feeling leading up to it. 
Well, he's been another frustrated fighter because he's, he's had injury problems last year. He was out for a while with his broken hand, he'd done in training. And then the lockdown came and he was matched a couple of times and he, uh, the, uh, because of the injury he had to pull out. Then he was matched for, I think, March back earlier this, this year and then the lockdown came. So, you know, he's had three fights. He's had, uh, I think, uh, two wins and, and a draw, I think. So um, he's just, like Tim, he's just so hungry to fight. He's training all the time. He's always out running and... Uh, and, he, and again, another black belt from karate, you know, another one that's come through the karate ranks and um, carries himself well in the gym and, and a nice, polite boy too, and just very hungry to fight, yeah. Mm-hmm. No, it's, it's really great to have him on the event. Young guys like that who are committed like that, you know, who are really, who are devoted, you know what I mean? Because it takes a lot to do this. So when you're working as a coach like you and you've got athletes like that who are so committed, it must be good. It must be... Uh, just a little bit easier for you, you know, just to deal with guys like that. Absolutely. You know, you don't have to say, are you training? You just have to tell them what time and they're there, you know. Yep. And so you've also got another two athletes actually competing, uh, another K1 athlete and another amateur MMA athlete. Um, the, the K1 uh, athlete, you have 90 kilos, um, Ivaras, uh, I can't remember Gaskowski, the first name. Gaskowski, yeah. His, his, yeah. his nickname is Chowie. We call him Chowie. Um, yeah, he's only young, and he came with, he came to me when he was very young, and um, uh, but he showed incredible strength, and he got into MMA quite early, and you know he had a few fights. He actually fought on the Cage Warriors amateur show, and, and he won that. Oh, nice! Um, and then he decided he wanted to get into more stand-up. I think perhaps to improve his maybe he's going to go back to MMA eventually, but he wants to, to get in and improve his stand-up. So that's why he's he's keen to do a K1 fight. That, this time round. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, no, no, it's, it's excellent for development, you know what I mean? And then later on, whatever he wants to go into, he can go into MMA or stick to K1. Yeah, uh, it's good yeah, yeah. to be well-rounded, you know? It's good that you have sure. that, give them that option to be able to change uh, between sports yeah, uh, like sure. that. And uh, yeah, so your last guy, last but not least, um, you have, I believe, your amateur MMA athlete. He's going to be competing against Thomas Zadonski. Uh, it's yeah. uh, uh, Matt Gray, I believe. Matt Gray, yeah, and another young young man who, who came to me a couple of years and showed immediately that he wanted to fight. He was um, tenacious, and <laughs> sometimes he had a little bit of a, a, a temper issue, which had to be attained. But yeah, that's not that's not too difficult to, to work out. And you know, he started follow, following the strict training and the strict regimen of, of, of um, you know the behavioural side of things. You know, you know, be calm, be calm, listen. What is you know. And, but he was always ready to fight, always ready. And he's one of those that just wants to fight. So, and um, nice stand up, nice. But he's had a couple of losses in his career where he shouldn't have won them, really, in my opinion. But, you know, on the day, it wasn't to be. And I think, you know, he's really gotten into um, uh, his, the daily sacrifice of training really, really well now. He loves it, he, he's always in the gym. He's always training by himself or with the classes when we're when we're open fully, and um, and he loves his grappling. He's he's I've now got a, a jiu-jitsu coach, Jordan Kirk, and uh, who runs the jiu-jitsu classes at my club. And Matt's always on the classes, and he's rolling with people twice his size, and he loves it. So um, he's had a bit of a shaky start, and I'm hoping you know he's got a tough fight this this time round. He's got he's got a tough fight. I'm not saying he hasn't. You know the guy's experience I know in K1. Yep. And uh, but Matt's taking it 
straight away, yes, I'd like to take that. I had to sort of get his weight down and I had to sort of really consider the the fight because I know Tomas has got that experience in K1 where Matt hasn't. But um, it's, I think there's no secret it's going to be a, a, probably a grappler against a striker fight, which is uh, always a mouth-watering concept, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but obviously it opens up the opportunity for finish in both sides, uh, which is really good because obviously I, I'm aware of obviously Tomac. Uh, he's fought on uh, UFL before. He's got very good uh, striking, but his grappling is quite limited, and there's going to be openings there for Matt to really to really capitalize on that. I feel um, sure. because because yeah yeah because he's really lacking in that department. So yeah, like you said. It's going to be a really interesting grapple versus striker matchup, uh, I believe. Yeah. Uh, we're really good. So um, that's really good to hear. And it's really good for us to have you guys uh, on the show because obviously it's a difficult period during COVID. A lot of gyms don't have the opportunities and a lot of shows actually were cancelled recently. It's a difficult time for everybody. And what we're just trying to do is just create an opportunity for the young fighters out there because everyone's kind of sitting on the shelf not really doing much at the regional level. Obviously, high-end professionals, they're getting opportunities left, right and centre, but the regional scene is dying away. And uh, it's a, it's really, it's a sad time kind of thing, you know, for promoters, etc., because they're not able to get the shows out there. Because Britain has a really healthy uh, fight scene, let's face it. It's a really yeah. healthy uh, combat scene in all combat sports. And it's been really, really hugely, hugely affected, you know, and it's a, it's, a, it's a sad time for that. But obviously we've got this show on on Saturday and after this, uh, we're planning on uh, a lot of regular events that are going to be closed door and just broadcasting them out for free because we just want everybody to just watch fights and we want everybody to be able to get their friends, etc. to watch it. Um, so, that's yeah, great. That's, that's great. That's yeah. great news because, you know, I've got another half dozen fighters that just... <laughs> yeah. just you know, want to get out there, and I'm talking not experience necessarily, but even just just the first timers, like as you know.